Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning, and find the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. New year, new study, new book. Some of you are very happy, probably, that I did not say the book of Ruth. But we are turning the page and even the Testament as we move over to the Gospel of Luke. 2020 is upon us. This is our first Sunday together. Obviously, this date can be an artificial date in the sense that, you know, when you think about something new, I mean, why is it something new just because there's a new date? I mean, it seems like it's just another week or just another time in our lives. But I know that several people, including myself, do kind of take inventory around this time. And we think about the new year. We think about new opportunities. We think about new relationships. So... That is one of the reasons, even next week, that I'm going to talk to you about the goals that we have set that we are looking forward to in 2020 as a people. I want, I want to go through what we believe God has spoken to us and how he is, he is wanting us to move forward. So I'm excited about that. But as I think about those specific goals, I really have one goal, at least for my life, in 2020. And that is, I want to encounter Jesus. I want to encounter him in every aspect of my life. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Some of you in this room, some of you there in the gathering, perhaps those of you who are watching television, you'll say, Reggie, haven't you encountered Jesus? If you haven't, you probably need to do that before you stand in the pulpit. Well, I have encountered Jesus. Jesus Christ saved me. Did you hear me? Jesus Christ worked in my life to forgive me of my sins and to bring me into a relationship with him. I am convinced of that. But that is not just a one and done kind of experience. What God wants to do is continue to work in my life. He wants to continue to show himself strong in my prayer relationship with him, in my study of the scripture, in my daily walk in the community. I want to encounter Jesus every day. What has occurred in the beginning when God saved me is he set me into a relationship where I can know him better each and every day of my life. So in 2020, I don't want to just know religion. I don't want to just know ritual. I want to know relationship. I want to encounter Jesus afresh and anew every day. And I hope and pray that would be your heart as well. How do we do this? How do we see him? Well, I think his word, his revelation challenges us. And that's the reason over the next few weeks, I want to show you some encounters that people had with Jesus in the gospel of Luke. Now, we begin very early in Jesus' life. Jesus is 12 years old in the scene that we have before us today. It seemed only fitting after we just spoke about the birth of Jesus and those first few days of his life to be able to fast forward just, to the, just a little bit to his 12th year and see how individuals experienced him, in particular teachers, his parents, and even the gospel writer Luke himself. So I want to show you that. I want you to hear this again. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 41. It says, his, referring to Jesus... His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, 
they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. And then look in verses 51 and 52. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You know, we don't have much about Jesus' life between the birth narratives and then when we see him launch his public ministry. We really don't have a whole lot in Scripture. There are times I wish we did. I wish that maybe the Holy Spirit would have inspired a writer to give us a little more insight into those years, especially the teenage years. I don't know if you're parents of teenagers or if you've been parents of teenagers, but you need a little extra help and guidance and instruction, do you not? Maybe. Maybe just me. There are times when I wish that the writers of Scripture, under the inspiration, had filled us in just a little more. But I'm convinced that God gave us exactly what He wanted. And for us to be able to see, even in this moment, a snapshot of Jesus and his understanding and his mission. And I want you to see in this passage that there is, a, there is an amazement at who Jesus really is. Now, again, the story is set for us. The parents, Mary and Joseph, they take Jesus up to Jerusalem. And they do this every year, the Bible says, because they are raising him according to the customs and the rituals of Judaism. And they take him up to the great feast. Here it is called the Passover. And we know Passover was literally just one day of the great feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It would be a feast of seven days, or so about a week or so, that they would spend time together. They would worship God. They would celebrate. Remember, when you think about Passover, Unleavened Bread, you think of the great Exodus moment. So they're celebrating the freedom that they have in God. They celebrate how God acted on their behalf. And how they were able to overthrow a superior force like the Egyptians. So here they are. They're celebrating. They're having this time together at the Passover. And then it's time to leave. So you can imagine, right? You ever been on a trip before and you have to get everything packed up? Get it all ready to go? You've been there before? You got kids with you? Hey, let's get a... Hey, have you looked under the bed? Have you checked the bathroom again? One more time we're going in. And then, of course, usually 40 minutes down the road, you remember something you forgot, right? But they pack up, they head out, and the Bible says that they go a day's journey. That is, Joseph and Mary, with a caravan, 
that they're with, they go a day's journey. A day's journey is a long way. 20 to 25 miles they travel. Some people will look at this and they say, how in the world, how in the world could they forget Jesus? Well, I'm a pastor. I'm paid to stay around the church a little longer than you are on Sundays. And every now and then you'll find a child. It's happened. You'd find a child of whatever age kind of wandering around. and it's, It happens. Some of you, you know it's happened to you. Leslie, I think it's happened to us. One be in one car, one be in another car. You think that daddy got the child or you thought mama got the child and then you get home and there's no child. And you just pray they'll enjoy the day at church. But here the caravan is going, and if you understand the time frame, the women would have been up front, the men would have been up in toward the back, uh, perhaps the children would have been playing around, and they just assume Jesus is there. Oh, by the way, notice the responsibility and the accountability they place with Jesus. They, they trust him. They believe him. So it's not a big deal that they haven't laid eyes on him on this trip. But when they come to their encampment... They look around, and there's no Jesus. Jesus is not there. Now, let's fast forward a minute into this narrative. We'll come back, and we'll look about their return and how they find Jesus. But let me fast forward just a moment. Where is Jesus? Jesus is in the temple. Jesus is doing what? I love this. It says he is listening. He is seeking understanding. He is learning. Hey, children, Jesus listened. So should you. Listen. Learn. Jesus. Now, it, it befuddles my mind, and I'm going to come back to this in a few moments as well. But here you have the lawgiver studying the law. The one whom the law originated in, the one who demonstrated what holiness is, he is there in the temple and he's asking questions and he's learning. Totally, totally amazes my thoughts to think of Jesus learning. But he is there receiving the law. He is studying. Perhaps he's getting ready. Many of you know that in today's culture, especially in the Jewish culture, the age 13 means that you have passed, at least for the man, I should say, is that you have passed from boyhood to manhood, that you've achieved adulthood. We usually refer to this as a celebration of bar mitzvah. Uh, bar, Aramaic word meaning son. Hebrew is ben, but Aramaic bar, bar mitzvah. Mitzvah is commandment, son of the commandment. So you come into the community of men and you recognize that you have given yourself to the study of the law. Now, I know the bar mitzvahs really originated after the New Testament period, but perhaps there is a tradition that is still there because Luke tells us he's 12. 
And perhaps he's getting himself ready to pass into the Jewish manhood. He's learning. He's studying. But the Bible says that the teachers, the scholars, are amazed at this young man. They're amazed. They're amazed that he's asking such questions. They're amazed that he is trying to seek such understanding. They are amazed, if you look at the Scripture, they are amazed at his answers. There's something particular about this young child. There's something different about this young man. Now, you've experienced those moments where you noted something very special about a child or a person, right? Yes, I know, it's usually yours. But you've been in other context where you noted something that was just special about them. Maybe it was a sporting event. And you looked at that child and you said, that is a natural athlete. You've seen those people? That's a natural basketball player. That's a natural baseball player. You could just see it in them. Maybe they have a musical talent. And there's, there's just something about them. You know, for, for me, I, I, I learned to play the piano just a little bit. I took about 12 years from about seven different people. You would think I would be well-rounded. The only thing that I could play, I can't do it now, so don't ask me, but the only thing I could play for the hymn festival was heavenly sunlight. Walking in sun. Never mind, I'm going to have to learn it and play it for you again so you remember what it is. That's all I could do. But there were people, there were people my age, there were people that were dedicated, there were people that were just gifted in that area that could just sit down and they could play. Think about, um, some of you know Priscilla Barfield, Bill Coven. They have a nephew that is on faculty at LSU. When I was in the Zachary Church, uh, Willis had grown up there, and they would talk about this young man that could just play like nobody else. Like when he was a child, they would talk about it. I moved here and realized that he must have gotten his giftedness from Priscilla's side because Bill didn't have any giftedness in his life. But they would talk about him, and, and he is there at LSU. He's a professor. He, he at one point was the chair of the music department there. It's just amazing. You see this in children. You recognize it. Maybe they have a spiritual sensitivity. But they're amazed by Jesus. The child amazes them. There's something different about him. There's something different in the way he is seeking the law. There's something different in his understanding. There's something different in his answers. There's something different in the depth. The teachers and the scholars are amazed at the child. Some 20 years later, Jesus will come back into this arena. He'll be a man, and he'll teach with authority. We're told that he will amaze those who hear him, but he will also disrupt many of their lives as he teaches. Tonight, I'm going to begin a new study on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm excited about that as well for our Sunday night service as we talk about Discipleship 101, as we talk about living as Jesus. 
We see him teaching us and showing us exactly how we should respond to other relationships, how we are to grow in him. But those 20 years later, when they, he comes to the temple, um, I believe that they're probably some of the same teachers that are there. And they're not just amazed, but they begin to be troubled that this young man has challenged their way, challenged their understanding. Friends, let me just suggest to you, in 2020, we need to be amazed by Jesus once again. May I say to you in 2020, we need to hear him teach us once again. In 2020, we need a fresh word from him. Oh, the word's always been there. I'm not suggesting something new. I'm just talking about allowing this word to penetrate our heart in a fresh and new way. And you know what? If he disrupts us, if he says to us that there are things in our lives we need to remove and there are things in our lives we need to adjust, if he says that, and I believe he will if we really get into a deep study of his scripture, then we need to be willing. We need to be amazed and we need to allow God to change us. The teachers, the scholars were amazed by this young man, by this child, this 12-year-old, Jesus. They were amazed by his capability. But his parents were amazed by his sensibility. What do you mean by that, Reggie? Well, I told you I'd pick up in the story. It says that as soon as Joseph and Mary find that Jesus is not there, they determine to return to Jerusalem. So they're a day out, then they return a day in, and then they find Jesus sometime, I believe, on the third day. There are some people that say they sought three days in the city. I believe the three days refers to the one day out, the one day back, and then the one day when they actually find Jesus. Again, they find him where? In the temple. Where would you find your child, you think? What would you do if you had lost your child? If you had lost your child in a mall or so, you might go to the mall office and you might see if they would call, they would page your child. Jesus, your parents are here looking for you. Please meet us. You would go to the police department, maybe. You'd say, I need help finding my child. I can't find him. Well, some of you know your children so well, you would say, well, you know what? We're back in Jerusalem. We ought to go back to the inn that we stayed, the hotel. He's probably there. That Hilton Garden Inn's there in Jerusalem. It has free Wi-Fi. He's been on that Wi-Fi on the iPad ever since we left. Some of them more recreationally minded. You might say, oh, I bet he found some people to play ball down in the town center. Maybe he's down there playing ball. Or you know what? That, that guy, he loves to hunt and fish. He probably already found his own way back to Galilee so he could get on the sea and fish just a little bit. We'd all have ideas about where our children would be. 
But I think they found Jesus pretty quickly. They went back to the temple. They went back to the temple. And there's Jesus. Let me ask you again, where would you look for your kids? This is a good thing for all of us to think about as this new year starts. Would, would church even be on the list? All down at the ball field, maybe over at a friend's house, maybe. Would you ever think that your child would have loved the Word of God so much and the people of God so much that they might have even gone to the church. have to tell you, I had to stop, and that hit me pretty hard this week as I studied it. They go to the temple. And again, Jesus is in there teaching. And they are amazed. The Bible says that they're amazed. They're looking at Jesus. He, he's 12. He's listening. He's learning. But he's also answering. And, and they're all like, this is Jesus. That shouldn't surprise them, but it does. They're astonished that Jesus could be doing this. And then they're astonished and amazed. They're astonished and amazed at his sensitivity or his sensibility of who he is, who God is in his life. Now, again, look in verse 48. It says, his mother said to him. His mother's the one who confronts him. Why? Why? Because there is nobody on this earth that can bring guilt like your mama can. I thought I'd get an amen or two out of that one. Listen to her. Our translation this morning says, she began by saying, son. Actually, it's a more affectionate term that is used here. It's not son, it is child, but it is an affectionate use of the word child. Child had been used in verse 40. Child had been used in verse 43. But those were different words. It's kind of like she looks at him and says, little man, my child, why have you done this to us? Can you hear you, mama? Why would you do this to you, mama? We've been worried sick. We hadn't seen you, we hadn't heard from you, you hadn't called us, you hadn't talked to us. Never mind, that's my mama. <laughs> what have you done to us? Your father and I have sought you anxiously. You have caused us great pain and distress. And Jesus is not disrespectful to his parents. Verse 51 clarifies his relationship to his parents. So don't take this as him being rude to his parents or disrespectful. He just states the obvious. What does he say? Why did you seek me? Did you not know? That word know in the original Greek is, didn't you know for a fact? You've got the factual evidence before you, in your mind, and who you are. Would you not know for a fact that I must be about my father's business? Now, in the original language, I went back and looked at it. It basically says, don't you know that I must be 
in or about my father's, and it's like a blank. That's the reason some of your translations say house. My translation I read this morning says business. It's a blank. Why? Because all that's there is like a definite article. It's just a definite little article. It refers to something, but we don't know exactly what it refers to. It's just like, don't you know that I have to be about my father's house, my father's business? I just got, I got to be in and about my father. And he's not disrespectful, but he is distinctive. Notice Mary had just said, your father and I. Jesus says, listen, with all respect, don't forget who I am. With all respect, don't forget that my true father is the one who is above. And I must be about my father's business. These are the first words spoken out of Jesus' mouth that would be recorded for us in Scripture. Now, I know he said, ah, ooh, all those kinds of things. I believe he learned how to speak. But the first words recorded for us in Scripture, I must be in my father's house. I must be about my father's business. Why would those be recorded for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Because it, it really does set his identity and his mission for the rest of his life. At the age of 12, he knows who he is and he knows whose he is. He knows his mission. He knows his purpose. Fast forward 20 years later, he'll be back around Jerusalem just across the way, across the Kidron Valley and on top of the Mount of Olives. He'll be in that garden and he'll kneel. What will he say? He'll say to the Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Why? Because he was about the Father's business always. It was about the Father's will. It was about, about the Father's purpose. He knew he'd come for a mission. Twelve-year-old, can't imagine. Here he has this identity, self-identity. He has his mission. And they're amazed. The parents are amazed by this. Jesus knew who he was. Hey, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 3, this is a verse that has always spoken to me about remembering who our identity is in God. In John 13, 3, this is the passage where he gets down and washes his disciples' feet. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, he arose. You know what? It is easy to serve people when you know who you are and whose you are. There's nothing to prove because I am who I am in Jesus Christ. We are able to get down and to serve one another. Jesus knew who he was. His parents were amazed. It says they didn't really seem to understand. Now that's amazing in it of itself, is it not? I mean, all right. Just a few weeks ago, we've read different stories about the Christ event and Jesus' birth. 
Didn't an angel appear to Mary? Wasn't it like an angel named Gabriel that came to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit, and she doesn't understand, but boom. I mean, nothing had ever happened like that before or after. Why wouldn't she understand that this one was different? May I suggest to you that sometimes familiarity can, it can breed contempt, but let me just say to you, it can also just, it can, it can somehow make us forget how special and wonderful things are. When you live with people, when you live with your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, sometimes you forget how wonderful and special they are. Some of you say, no, I never have. That's awesome. And I hope that you're reminded more than often how special they really are. But sometimes they're just around all the time. Those kids, they're around all the time. Don't forget they had been raising Jesus and while, yes, they had had the moment where the angel had appeared to Mary and how the angel had spoken to Joseph as well, they had had those moments. But also the last 12 years, they've been his earthly parents. He'd just been growing up. He'd just been a baby. He'd just been... They didn't quite understand, the Bible says, how wonderful he was. But don't miss this, the disciples didn't either. How many times in the scripture do we see where the disciples just didn't get something? Huh? Jesus talked to them about going to the cross. They just didn't seem to quite get that understanding there. Jesus would tell them what was going to happen, but they just did not truly understand. Even when they're on the boat. Well, I know they're on the boat several times, but let's say when they're on the boat and... The, the boat is rocking. The water's just about to consume them. Jesus is sleeping. They wake him. They're like, you don't care about us. We're about to perish here. Where are you? And Jesus is able to bring calm. And it says that they're amazed. When they see Jesus in another instance walking on the water, they are terrified. Why are they so terrified? Because the one that they are with every day truly is the Son of God and has the power unlike anybody else. When you're just walking with Him every day, and yes, you hear the teaching and all that, sometimes you just forget how awesome and wonderful this God is, Jesus is. And I believe here that Mary and Joseph, they've kind of, yes, they love Him. They know He's special, but they have, they've kind of just forgotten how Unique this one is. Listen, in 2020, I pray that God would show us and remind us once again how wonderful and amazing He is. And for those of us who've been Christians for a long time, that God would stir something new and fresh in us and show us that this is the God who saved us and the God who is working in us daily to accomplish His will and purpose. Because I'm going to tell you, sometimes we come into this church and we go into the ritual and we get so close and we, we get so familiar with things, we forget how awesome it is to worship the true and living God that we have. 
God, fire us up once again. God, amaze us. Some of you say, well, you said familiarity. That means if I come about every three months, that'll probably help me out. I won't get too familiar with Jesus and I'll be amazed by him. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I know some people, they've never seen the church decorated or undecorated. Usually they see poinsettias and lilies. Let me tell you what, God's here every Sunday. It's not that we need to get more away from him. It is that we need to allow him to do more within us to amaze us. Mary kept these things in her heart. I'm convinced that Mary is one of the ones who talks to Luke about this gospel. Luke chapter 1 verse 2 says that he went and he talked to eyewitnesses. Why? Because Luke wasn't there. I'm convinced he talked to Mary. Because how many times in Luke's gospel, it, it just she pondered these things in her heart. She treasured these things in her heart. And then when he writes this, about 50 years later, can you imagine this exchange? So tell me, tell me about Jesus' life. Let me tell you about when he was 12 and we left him at the temple. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how he reminded us that he was the unique son of God unlike any other. Let me tell you how that day I knew for a fact that he was about his father's business and the father's will. Let me tell you that I knew he was committed. Hey, this is in, remember the time of the Passover? Significant? Because it will be during the time of the Passover. 20 years later, 21 years later, 20 so years later. That he will die. That he will die in the place of you and me on the cross. I can't imagine how this interview must have gone with Mary. But I can only sense her heart, her emotion as she was telling Luke about this day. His parents were amazed by sensibility, sensitivity to who he was and what he was called to do. And Luke, I think as you see this end, Luke and his readers, others, they're amazed. Yeah, they're amazed by his instruction, his power. But I think here they're actually more amazed by his humility. The teachers were amazed by his capability. The parents were amazed by his sensibility. Luke, the readers, I think they should have been and we should be really amazed by his humility. You see in verse 51 it said what? He subjected himself to his parents. The Son of God willingly submitted himself to his parents. I would argue with you, or argue with you in some sense, that he had more spiritual discernment than they did. And yet he still submitted himself to his parents.
Why? Because that was what was right and what was godly. And Jesus fulfilled all of those things. He was humble. He, he subjected and submitted himself to his parents. I think he grew up a pretty regular life. Not the fanciful stories we see in other gospels. There are, unfortunately, fanciful, unproven stories, gospels that were written later on. Second century, the Gospel of Thomas. That tells us these, again, fanciful stories about Jesus. About how Jesus was out one day and he was playing in the ford in this brook. And he gathered all the water up into pools. And this other little boy came by and messed up his work. And he pronounced a curse on that little boy. And the little boy withered. Yeah, right. That's the Jesus I serve. No. Oh, they tried to make up other stories. They tried to make up another story in the Gospel of Thomas about how a young boy ran into him and he was so exasperated that he just pronounced death upon that young boy. Folks, that is not the picture that we have in the Scripture. He was not using his own power for his selfish needs or desires. He was humbling himself to his parents. And you and I, we think of young men, young boys, if they had that much power and that identity, I mean, humbled himself. You and I ought to be amazed at his humility. Not just to his parents, but that he subjected himself to humanity. Verse 52 says that he grew. He grew how? He grew in wisdom, intellectually. He grew in stature, physically. He grew in favor with God, spiritually, and with man, socially. Oh, there's so much you can just preach right there, but my time is out. But he limited himself, is what the Scripture teaches us. I don't understand it all. The God-man limiting himself in such a way... But just as he limited himself physically, he limited himself intellectually. Piper said it this way. But it is not easy to imagine how Christ can be God and not be omniscient. But evidently, the incarnate Christ was able somehow to bracket or limit the actual exercise of his divine powers so that he had the personality of God, basically the motives and the will of God, but the powers of knowing all and the infinite strength of God he somehow restrained. They were his, potentially, and thus he was God. But he surrendered their use absolutely, and so he was man. I say to you, we ought to be amazed by that. We ought to be amazed that he was both God and man the way he was. And when that amazement takes hold of us, we should worship him afresh and you, realizing he has never been like, he, he is never totally like us. He is so different from us in so many different ways. And in 2020, I pray that we would be amazed. Yeah, with his capability, with his sensibility, his sensitivity to the Father, but also in his humility that he showed for us as he lived and died here on this planet for us. May we be amazed.
May we encounter him afresh in you. Let's pray. Father, I come before you and I pray. I pray, first of all, for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here in this sanctuary and there in the gathering. Father, I pray that you would draw us close today and in the days to come. That you would once again amaze us. God, you've always been amazing. It's not about who you are, your character. It's just about sometimes, Lord, our willingness to acknowledge it. Our willingness to open our eyes and to hear what you have to do and what you want to say in who we are. God, I pray that you would just rock us and that you would help us to see you, both your power and your humility. God, for the one that's here this morning that's never taken a step of faith toward you, never truly given their lives to you. Father, it's one thing to preach about encounters we have, but if we don't come to that first step of accepting you as our Savior and Lord, God, there's no other encounters (laughs) that we can imagine. So, Lord, I pray that you would just work on people's hearts and lives, even today, that you'd bring them to salvation. God, break us forth from our familiarity and help us to see you anew and fresh. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?